0: The energy. The energy. The energy. The energy
1: hello and welcome the to energy. Resident Advisors exchange our series of conversations with the artists the labels and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape I'm Jordan Rothline and I'm the tech editor at Resident Advisor. The Our exchange this week comes from Salt and Sass, a quarterly meetup for women working in the music industry in Berlin. Salt and Sass was started by Kat Young. Hey, Kat. Hi, Jordan. A former RA intern who now works for SoundCloud. Kat, what can you tell us about Salt and Sass? Well, one of the biggest points that's been raised around women working in the music industry is that there's a lack of access to role models and mentors. I certainly felt like this in my own career. And while I feel like things have got better, I wanted to create a space where women at all stages of their careers could come together and meet each other outside of email and have the opportunity to listen to some inspiring women talk about their careers. At the last Salt and Sass, I recorded an interview between RA's Christine Kakari and Susan Langen. Susan works in artist relations for native instruments here in Berlin, but she's had a lot of lives within the music industry. She's worked as a DJ, as a promoter, as a vocalist. She also worked at iTunes in the early days as an electronic music curator. The interview focused a lot on Susan's career, but also on the experiences of women working in the music industry more generally. You can find our full archive of exchanges on residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra exchange. Kat, if people want to know more about Salt and Sass, where can they find it? They can follow us on Twitter at Salt and Sass or sign up to our newsletter, which is tinyletter.com forward slash Salt Sass. Susan Langan at Salt and Sass, up next on the exchange.
2: this conversation by saying that we've known each other for a really really long time but this is the first time we're having like a proper in-depth discussion about you as an artist and a woman in business and a woman in tech but the first thing i wanted to kind of touch on was the last time i was here at the soundcloud office there was a, a really interesting panel by female pressure about genre and gender and how they intersect or how they clash. And Mm. I wanted to kind of put that question to you as a woman who's kind of came up through drum and bass and then has moved through a bunch of other genres. How has that affected you, if at all? Like, have you been made aware or felt aware of your gender moving through all of these different genres? For sure. Starting with drum and bass. Yeah. I mean, it's drum and bass. Yeah.
0: If any of you know about drum and bass, it is super dude heavy. Yeah. Um, And ironically, I was part of a crew in San Francisco that was basically made up of women. At its core, which was super unusual, and it was nothing that we ever wanted to kind of draw attention to for any sort of marketing ploy. but it definitely changed the vibe of how we handled things. I was a promoter initially, and before that doing photography and web design and stuff like that. But I as a DJ, it was there there was a lot of discrimination against women, and it wasn't just like, "Oh, well, you just get those gigs because you have my promos." or my white labels, as it was back in the day. But it was also like you had to, in a sense, you had to, that was in quotes, you can't see me, um, (laughs) look good. And then your skills had to be at least as good as the best dude in the room because you were gonna be judged a lot harder. And I see a colleague of mine who was also involved in that scene shaking her head, or not shaking, but nodding, okay. nodding her head. Yeah. And so, yeah, you you had to be really extra good because you were mm. gonna be extra judged.
2: Yeah, a friend of mine who's also a producer, I had a conversation with her and I remember her saying that the difference between women and men, particularly as DJs, is that men are generally um, judged on their potential whereas women are judged on their performance if you know what I mean like it seems like men or male producers or DJs have a lot more scope to not be precise to not be perfect whereas um, women perhaps will be judged for any particular flaw, and that will be attributed to being female is that something that you Mm.
0: I can see that being the case. And mm. to be completely honest, I have probably internalized that a bit myself. Sure. You know, I, I mean, I, I really try to flip these things around a lot because I know that I'm only human and grew up in the same world as everybody else. And I, yeah, I do it myself. Sure. I i was sent something by a colleague the other day of this woman who had she was singing, producing playing back, playing like music, like as a keyboardist and did a live take of this. And my first reaction was kind of like, hmm, that's cool. And then I was like, what the fuck? Actually, that's amazing. And the song is great and everything is great. And where does this little bit of extra judgment come from? Mm. It's hard to catch yourself.
2: As your kind of professional life, like you work at Native Instruments, in artist relations Mm -hmm. do you feel like those kind of instinctive judgments like is that something that you think colors your work life as well is it something that you're aware of because i'm sure you're having to deal with artists of a variety of different genres and scenes like is that something that's kind of visible in your work life it's
0: extremely visible but from the lack Sure. so i very actively want to work with more women. And it's kind of an affirmative action call for me because I I just see that the go-to are, they're always men. And even the people that are approaching us are often men. And the the pool from which I have to choose is largely male. And I actively want to change that. I want to change who sees who we have to work with basically. And who's doing what with it. And uh, to some degree, that's not something I have control over. It's the kind of marketing programs that we have available at the moment. But to another degree, I do because I am putting these people forward, kind of pitching them internally. And it's something that I see is super, super important. And I think in reverse, I look out for it. I'm always looking for more people to give space to, basically.
2: Mm-hmm. Could you speak a little bit more about what you're role at Native Instruments actually entails. Yeah. As,
0: as <laughs> <laughs> I do artist relations. Nobody knows what that is.
2: <laughs> um,
0: it's a strange role. It's a role that lives in between. Uh, it's it's technically under the marketing department, but we definitely work with the R&D end of things as well, getting feedback to both improve products and, uh, And also develop new ones or or at least feedback on on how things are are developing. And uh, beyond that, now we've developed a lot of events. And so we're looking into kind of, it's almost like talent booking to some degree. But we also seed products when they're coming out with artists. So we're getting really early feedback on everything from from plugins, compressors and whatnot to hardware. We released a keyboard last year. Mm-hmm. And if you guys don't know what Native Instruments is, is it's a company that develops tools for music creation and performance, basically, across genres. So everything from composers to an East London grime producer. is who I'm working with. It's pretty cool.
2: Yeah. <laughs> what was your point of access to reach this position that you're in now? Is it, Was it through production? Was it through other means? Yeah, kind of, actually. I
0: moved to Berlin five years ago because I wanted to live in Europe. And I wanted more experiences than I had. I grew up in San Francisco. And I was active in the music scene there since I was a teenager. Really, I started throwing parties because I wasn't old enough to get into them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And they don't check your ID if you're the promoter. And that was really great. And I, that, that was when I was in university. And I kind of got that bug and continued on with that afterwards. And at some point, and then that brought me to Apple. I worked for iTunes as the dance electronic music programmer for about five years. was very frustrated there because I was hired as an expert on a very small team and kind of taken away from the community that had developed me into what I was. And so I left and did some traveling and ended up in Berlin because I had come here as a performer, as a singer with John Tejada in 2005, and as a wee raver when, <laughs> <laughs> for the Love Parade in 2000. And I loved the vibe of the city. I felt that you could feel a palpable change. And that's certainly something I've experienced actually living here. But I came here to become a better music producer. And I came here because there was a large community of people doing that here and what that meant is that i was learning german for three hours a day i was living in a super cheap room making music for the rest of the hours of the day and i was raving for the rest of the hours of the day which means that i was networking (laughs) 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 truly and honestly and uh that is actually how i got the job (laughs) i met i can name names but i met someone through a friend at fabfanzia which is a club here, and another friend of mine that I met at Bar 25, (laughs) um, both basically said, oh, they're looking for somebody to work in artist relations. The guy who's doing it now is currently looking for another person, and we think you'd be a great fit. So kind of came through the fact that I came here to want to make music.
2: Because we know we've known each other for the length of time that we have. I know that you've spoken about the frustration of trying to balance being the person that you are kind of nine to five and finding the, the time, the literal time, but also the kind of personal time, I guess, to be able to be creative as well. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I, I feel like that's something that you've spoken about a lot.
0: Personally, <laughs> you're bringing out my shadow child <laughs> oh, to play the uh, secret. No, this is actually important to talk about. Um, yeah. I, it is tough. I think it has a lot to do with, I am an artist at my core and therefore I think way too hard about what I do or maybe not therefore or at least for me and it takes a certain environment for me to feel creative and it also takes I need to be happy to be creative this is something that I've realized about myself only recently and when I'm in work mode and we can get into this later, you know, it's kind of like in the jungle chopping down trees, and this (laughs) spreadsheet is so beautiful, and you know, all of these. It's a totally different kind of mindset than when you can get up at four in the morning because you're like, oh my god, this baseline, and just go for it. Mm. So I've found them to be mildly incompatible, Mm. but I, maybe incorrectly always think that this is about me creating the space that I need to create for myself to be in that creative mindset. And so now I'm enrolled in a painting class and I'm doing singing lessons. And actually all of those things are helping my mood tremendously. And I think they will benefit my work as an artist, but also my work as as an employee.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting perspective because... I kind of do this thing whenever I meet artists who have moved here specifically to be creative and to realise their music or other kind of medium dreams. Because I'm not entirely convinced that moving to Berlin necessarily equates being more creative. Um, and I feel like, I feel like a, there's like uh-huh. a, a good, like 50-50, like the, of the very kind of unofficial poll that I've been running for the years that I've lived here, it's about 50-50. And I would imagine that you've kind of come up against something similar with a lot of the artists that you have to interact with as part of work and also just, just personally. Do you believe in the idea of Berlin being this kind of creative mecca where you can come and all of your creative juices are flowing and you can realise your potential, or (laughs) is it a place where you're going to get stuck at Berghain for 36 hours? Yes. (laughs) I mean,
0: clearly. Go. <laughs> uh, no, I think it, it, it definitely comes down to the individual, um, yeah. and there's a certain self-discipline, but I think there also is this, this whole myth of the artistic struggle, you oh. know, and having to come here, and my life was hard for a while, I ripped myself out of a community that was really very special. I can't tell you how grateful I am for having grown up in San Francisco in the '90s. Um, it was a really special place and with a really special community of people that I still treasure and that still feed me when I need that here. I mean, the guy who was working at the vinyl distribution plant in the 90s giving everybody the promos just sent me a text message he's the only person that gave me a thumbs up before i came to do this you know it's like old school homies and when you move yourself to a new place you don't necessarily have that and i don't know if everybody needs that but i certainly need that and it's taken me four years to find that here and i have it but it's (laughs) yeah christina's definitely one of them but it's it Takes a while. And like I said, I had this realization recently that I am somebody that needs to be happy to create. And that's not necessarily the case with other people, too. Mm. You know, I think it also has to do with where I am in my life. I'm about to be 37 years old. And so I I have a different idea of how I want to spend my time. You know, I've been raving for 20 years, literally longer. And so what What is it that I value? and it's and it's a very deep human connection that I value. And therefore, also, I think my idea of success as an artist has changed. You know, when I came here, I had this idea of Berlin. I had this idea of what it meant to be a success of, of you know, I had. These ideas about the people that have now become friends that come to my house for dinner that I I just, you know, I praised them through buying their records and, you know, I had no idea how they were doing, what they were doing, what magic are they weaving? And, you know, ultimately, what I've recognized is that I have had incredible opportunities in my life to play amazing parties. And I would almost always prefer to play a small 300 cap dark red room with amazing sound than I would any big festival for any kind of money you know and that yeah. to me is success the fact that I'm still getting offers to play these really special vibey parties that means a lot like and I want to do that you know and if that means that my financial remuneration, I've been practising <laughs> that word lately because uh, I realise I've been saying it wrong for a long time, um, comes from elsewhere, then that's fine. And actually, I've always been somebody that seeks inspiration from a wide variety of places. So I wouldn't be happy
2: doing just one thing anyway. Let's talk about San Francisco a little bit more. <laughs> Mi amor. Because <laughs> it seems like there are certain cities which at certain times there was something really super significant and really special going on. And I know that San Francisco, like in the 90s and early 2000s, it seemed like there was just something really, really significant that was happening. So can you tell us a little bit more about that?
0: Oh, my God, what part?
2: All of it. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Chronologically. That's going to take a long time. And there are
0: so many stories and so many people and whatever. I mean, granted, I was also a teenager. But, yeah, it was very... (laughs) <laughs> there's, there's a, it's, it's the 15-year anniversary of a film called Groove. And <laughs> obviously, some people are familiar with it in the audience here. And I think I was probably mildly embarrassed, as well as super stoked on it at the time. Because it was it features people that i that were friends of mine that are dJs that are still dJs that were actually djing parties and i I want to do like a double header at my night with what's the what's the new dj movie are are we friends? are you oh, we are your
2: friends? We are your friends
0: thanks audience we, I want to do a, a groove party girl. We are your friend's (laughs) triple header, screw it. Um, But yeah, so that did capture to some degree what was going on, but I mean, yeah, it wasn't just san francisco. it was It was California at large, I think. And in San Francisco, there's the whole mushroom jazz, Mark Farina thing. I can kind of <laughs> i can I can sum up one end of things that way. And then there was the whole drum and bass thing, which was massive. And, you know, I always thought that two-step would do really well there because of the intersection, but nope, yeah. nobody liked it. and then there's, there's just a history of freaks in San Francisco, and I think that opened up a lot. About a year ago, I was speaking with a friend of mine, and I made a comment that Berghain is not weird enough for me.
1: Ooh. And
0: he kind of said, wait, did you, what? And I said, yeah. And I thought about it and I was like, you know, the fact is growing up in San Francisco, I was exposed to some pretty extreme fetish and gay culture at a really young age and it just didn't matter. Like I didn't care. I don't care what you're doing around that stuff. Any of people, why do I, why do I care who you're having sex with? It does not affect me. And this was a really, I think this colored my whole view beyond music and in life, you know, I just don't, yeah, what else you got basically, <laughs> you know like and the acceptance of, of super freaks and basically this is really important San Francisco's not only willingness, but just absolute excitement over any opportunity to either get in costume
2: <laughs>
0: or get naked <laughs> is like beyond. It's amazing, but yeah, San Francisco was a really special place in the '90s. I mean, beyond beyond the whole electronic music, I mean, the whole gothy culture too. And yeah, it was just extremely, especially in the mid '90s, it was very cross genre, and and it was and it was small and it was wonderful and it was very inviting and and accepting. And I think that 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 that's the core of where I come from. That planted the seed and that's ultimately, what do they say? Sperm to worm, that kind of thing. I'm You've sorry. never heard that? <laughs> no.
2: <laughs> it's a lyric
0: from a song from West Side
2: Story. Oh, there you go. <laughs>
0: anyway, from beginning to end, Alpha Omega, you know that one.
2: Yes, I do. I do. <laughs> so is that something that you miss, that kind of like open freewheeling approach to life and to um, specifically to music and perhaps even more specifically electronic music? I think very specifically here in Berlin, it's that celebration. Uh
0: Like, what are we here for? We're not here to be serious and to know all of the records that are being played and to know what format they were released on. And like, somebody recently talked to me, they made this comparison of music as sports. And I say, yeah, that's exactly what I'm not interested in. I don't really like sports. Playing sports can be fun, but like I'm not really into sports, and I'm really not into music as sports. I am into music as an experiential activity, and I am there to release. Sometimes that can be negative, absolutely, but basically like celebration. That's what I want, you know? That's what I want in, in music. And that doesn't mean it has to be happy music. Absolutely not. You can definitely celebrate somberly.
2: Somehow, I I, I believe in that. I'll stick by that. Speaking of um, sombre celebration, very atmospheric but very gloomy cover of a U2 track. Where did this come from? (laughs) God, okay,
0: so... uh, Specifically, it came from my living room at about between 10pm and 4am, recovering from a head cold. Less specifically, a friend recently invited me to the U2 concert here in Berlin, and I realized that I was a huge U2 fan until (laughs) Achtung Baby, which is the the album that this song is on. And I guess this is an opportunity to get into this. When I moved to Berlin to be a better music producer, and ended up, this, this is a whole other tangent about how people work together or don't in Berlin, as opposed to other cities, I wanted to make house music or whatever my version of it that I was playing at the time. I wanted to play the kinds of tracks that I was making. I did not have the skills to do that. And I ended up getting super frustrated and making a bunch of music that I kind of just didn't value. And I made all this music and then didn't listen to it for years and was working and kind of feeling shitty about myself as an artist and yeah, worrying about a whole bunch of stuff. And then I started somehow, for some reason, going back and listening to that music. And at the core, what I really wanted when I started making music is I wanted to make something that sounds like me. And When I went back and listened to this music, no, it's not house music. It's some weird, I don't know. It's songy, electronic stuff. And, but it's me. It totally sounds like me. And I still, I still like those tunes. And I played them for a friend recently, a very, very close friend of mine who had never heard, he's heard me DJ, but he'd never heard any music that I produced. And he, was kind of blown away which is hard for me to even say but he's kind of blown away and he basically called it dark wave which i'm also not super comfortable with (laughs) because i kind of know what dark wave is and it's not super synthy enough to be that it's not like straight enough to be that but it gave me some sort of word for the kind of overall timbre of what i was making that kind of leaks out when i am not looking at what i should be doing also air quotes. And yeah, I think this has a lot of the quality of those songs that I've yet to find a home for, and I've yet to share beyond the handful of people that have the private link. That was me with a head cold in my room going, fuck it. I haven't released music, and I don't know how long. I don't even know what I'm doing as an artist right now. And fuck it, you know, I think that I also went through like a huge thing with my voice because I got a lot of attention for my voice and I didn't want to be known as a singer. I'm a fucking DJ. That is what I'm really good at. Um, I can produce all right, especially I've gotten better and it's it's cool. But there's this thing about my voice and I keep getting recognized for it. And it was very uncomfortable for me. And I have to say that singing is more naked than being naked. It is super raw, because it's totally you. I mean, it's literally your body, the caverns of your body that only your body can make. Super freaky stuff. But I love to do it, and I've always done it. And But I was very uncomfortable being pegged as just that. And so I think that this was kind of a, it was a fuck it. This is, listen to the caverns of my body.
2: (laughs) Um, Yeah, because it's quite remarkable for being, it's very raw and it's, because of the other vocal tracks of yours that I've heard, um, where you've collaborated with other artists, it's like, you've got this kind of chameleonic, like you did the um, Don't Turn It Off track, which is like a massive new disco track which is very sultry and then you did some work with John Tejada which was a bit more sassy, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not with that description. Yeah. But this, this U2 cover was very raw and yeah, naked as you said, so I, yeah, I just wanted to ask you about that. But let's tangent off that into some other vocal work that you've done. I'm kind of curious about your approach to the idea of collaboration because as a person you're a very social person. And I've noticed that you've done a lot of collaborations as an artist. So to what degree is collaborating part of the kind of creative process of getting ideas out for you? It's pretty big, actually. I mean,
0: you know, we were kind of dissing Berlin earlier a little bit as being a creative. I think Berlin, whatever, a creative whatever, to finish that thought. (laughs) Um, But it's a shaper. I think a lot of people come and they are shaped by their experience in Berlin, and I certainly have. And one of the things that it helped me with is I realized as as a singer, I need to know the person I'm working with. I've been approached to do vocals and it's very, very rare. Like if, I, if somebody sends me a track and I'm sitting in my living room, no idea what their intention is with this it's very difficult for me to come up with something meaningful. And maybe that has a lot to do with my own self-doubt and my process or whatever, but I can't work that way. And I was embarrassed by that. I felt incredibly guilty and unprofessional because I could not do that. I was getting some pretty neat opportunities and I couldn't make good on them because I... I was too scared is what I thought and then I realized that actually this has a lot to do with process and for me being able to sit with the person that I'm working with and even if the feedback I'm getting is hmm, you know just a nod or something it's something for me to work around you know and I'm I'm also a super visual person and so I think getting some idea of what of what this is looking like for them in terms of their process and what you know where do they envision their track being played why are they making it I'm I'm super heady and curious like I need that but I think for me also especially early on it had a lot to do with bouncing back ideas and learning skills So, being in the studio with other people, I get to watch how they work. And this is an amazing thing. I love this. I mean, even if it's a shortcut, like, oh, yeah, if you hold down shift, you can go up an octave instead of just one
2: note.
0: These things are really, they're crazy time savers and they really help. and, And I love that. And people have totally different approaches to how they make music. This is one thing that I've learned professionally that I think has calmed that fear in me is that there's no right way to do this. Absolutely not, no matter what people tell you.
2: And has there been any particular collaboration that's had a particular impact on you or been very significant in a positive way or negative way or has there been one collaboration that you can think of that's really, you can see a difference in yourself from having done that?
0: Oh, interesting. I guess they've all been little pivot points. Maybe not all of them, but many of them have been pivot points. If there's been some sort of, depending on where I am in my life, I don't know that there's, I I think with the John DeHatta collaborations, I remember really specifically hearing the track out at a party. I think it was Sweat. And just thinking, holy shit. My voice is on sound systems all over the world. What the fuck? <laughs> like, that's super weird. I could not deal with that. That was a really weird thing. Not in a negative way. It didn't like send me into some weird spiral or anything. It was just like, that's super weird. I can't, and it, this is really no longer what we did in the studio that day. This is something totally different. And I think any of the tracks that have had a really crazy success, there's this kind of, yeah, weird, right? I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to, to deal with them.
2: Really? Even yeah. now, like, 10 years later? Because that one was, like, 2004, 2009? Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
0: it's just a strange thing. The fact that they had some impact is, is really bizarre to me, you know, from, from what my experience was making it. I also have a hard time playing them as a DJ. I mean, they're not super my style, any of them, anyway. I think with Don't Turn It Off, it was really amazing because I I made that track, too. I made all the tracks on that AP with the 40 Thieves Boys, and like that, to me, was extremely significant, the fact that I had contributed production-wise as well as vocal-wise.
2: Sure. Would you say that it's... Um, perhaps easier for you as an artist or as a person who creates something? Say, for example, you did a DJ set and if somebody was to come up to you and say, that was amazing, as opposed to, I heard this track and you were singing on it, that was amazing. Is it a different kind of reception for you?
0: Yeah, totally. (laughs) Totally, I don't know what that's all about. But when you were saying that, when you were asking that question, I could think of two really (laughs) vivid, awesome... Compliments that I've gotten as a DJ that totally stick with me. That kind of feel like you know, if I die tomorrow, at least I did that. And they're stupid, maybe they're they're maybe not that heavy (laughs) at all. But yeah, I think I think the DJing thing. You know, I was I also had a band for a little while in San Francisco in the mid aughts. I love saying that. It might be really (laughs) shitty, but I love it. And called the Invisibles. I was in a band, I should say, and. It was really different playing with them, too. I was more nervous as a DJ. I'm probably, like, the the more solo you go, the more nervous I get. Like, playing in a band, no problem. Being in a play, yeah, cool. DJing, more nervous, singing, most nervous. Because it's all on me.
2: Do you consider yourself to be someone who's kind of creatively restless? Because you've... done a lot of stuff and a lot of your projects have been quite different to each other or uh, the phases of your career as a dj are you seeking something do you think
0: can you tell me what it is? <laughs> no, <laughs> I really um, can't. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, yeah, certainly. I'm, I'm a super curious person. I said it before, and that is an absolute defining quality of, of me. And I realized last year that I'm somewhat of an overachiever. And it's kind of crazy because when I said that to my mom, I was home for Christmas and I was going through a box of flyers and photographs Of parties and stuff from San Francisco in the 90s and 2000s. And I was like, fuck, man, I was in school, I did this, then I had a pirate radio show and I was throwing parties and I was working at Apple and like, you know, commuting two hours a day with a full time job and all this crazy stuff. And I just looked at her and I was like, I'm kind of an overachiever. And she just laughed at me and was like, you're just realizing this. And I still don't even think about this. I mean, I was talking to you beforehand about how I've been sick the last couple days, which means that I've reorganized the shelving in my kitchen and bathroom. And I guess there's a restless quality to me that's coming out, I think, even more as I get older. And yeah, I'm curious. I'm curious about people. I'm curious about the way that things work. I'm curious about emotions and the emotional lives of people and intimacy. And of course, music. I mean, that is just that, that, to me, that's the embodiment of this stuff. And I don't see that stopping. I, I, yeah, bring it on.
2: (laughs) I wanna dive a little bit further into your professional life. Can you tell us a little bit more about your role at iTunes? Because from what I understand from what you've told me, it was kind of a new position, moving into this quite corporate structure in a sense teaching them about electronic music and trying to frame this community and this scene and something that was much larger and trying to frame it within a very rigid kind of corporate (laughs) structure. I can already tell from your body language that you're like, ugh yeah i mean it was rigid and corporate but it was
0: also the kind of wild west it was 2005 itunes you know and i'm coming at them being like how the fuck do you expect me to sell 128k locked files with shitty samples to the dance music audience that are audiophiles and total freaks about what they do this is what the hell are you trying to ask me to do you know plus I mentioned before that I was kind of taken from the community taken from the community meaning just isolated a bit I was in Cupertino it's not very far from San Francisco I was still doing the radio show I was still throwing parties when I first started but it's not the same thing I was asked as to be this weird expert with electronic music. It was a little bit different. It's a lot more wide. And there are also things that kind of fit into this traditional pop band structure within that specifically hot chip came around when I was, when I was there and that was really helpful, but it was just this larger, you know, also Apple had never really done content before. So it was just this complete, and they were trying to get the store not to fall apart at Christmas and basically keep working. So their priorities were really different. I think one of my favorite things about my time there is the fact that the guy who was the expert for classical music and I had a lot of the same complaints and concerns. We had these audiophile customers, and we needed slightly different formats for the the kind of listening that they were looking for and the listening experience. But also the way it was structured between the editorial team and the label relations team was super frustrating because when you're dealing with really high level major label things, they will do anything to get you to feature Joe Schmo from Canada, whatever, whoever they're pushing at the time. And so you want a protection layer there. But when you're dealing with electronic music, Somebody might smoke too much weed and forget to tell you that the release is coming, and you kind of need to be in touch with those people so that you you know what's there and what you can really feature from that. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of details missing in that, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean it was a, it was a pretty amazing time. Um, ultimately, I ended up yeah running into walls there because mm-hmm. there there wasn't space for me to, to be me, I guess, in the end.
2: Sure. How do you contend with or deal with um, in your professional life as a person who has a really deep passion and love for music and then kind of moving within these professional structures where you feel like, and I know that we've both felt like this at certain times, when you feel like you're hitting your head against the wall where you're trying to reconcile this culture with the culture of business And it doesn't always integrate. And I think this will particularly resonate for a lot of the women who are here who work in the music industry as well. Like, how do you approach that? How do you deal with it? How do you not internalize it? If
0: I have this correct, I don't think this is a gendered topic at all. It's just basically being a passionate music lover that understands that those 300 cap smoky rooms are the bomb. And it's about the deep cuts, and it's about the kind of figurative B2, as opposed to the A1 from 10 years ago that your boss's boss finally knows and recognizes. <laughs> you know, And I think, I don't know. I mean, I'm fighting <laughs> this fight right now. I don't know what the answer is. You know, I think, ultimately, it comes down to if you have people around you that trust you and that value your taste and value your experience and the fact that you know what the fuck you're talking about, from experience and from being completely steeped in this because that's what it takes you know this is something that I dealt with at iTunes actually a lot because even though as you mentioned I've gone through quite a few of genres in my in my musical career I know I mean I was in a five-year drum and bass black hole that's all I did that's all I did and I needed that you know i was having a discussion with radio slave about that once and he was like yeah you you somewhere along your line you kind of need that you need to be completely consumed and then all of a sudden i was the representative for all dance and electronic music for everybody in the states fuck me like how the hell do i do that with the same passion and dedication that i do to you know, the people that know what the fuck clown step is. like, no, you can't do what this is clown step It's kind of a joke. The better one is dolphin jungle. <laughs> but in any case, it's like, how do you do that? you know and it's and it's just about perspective and it's about scale and it's about little wins. I think it's about little wins. It's about you know getting that real cool person in. For example, Camo and Crooked, who, if you're following drum and bass these days, are super massive. You know, along the lines of noise and Andy C. But I got them to do a really, really nerdy talk while we were at Amsterdam Dance Event about. I mean, they're talking about scripting and contact and you know programming uh, FMA, which is the synth that Native Instruments makes and that was a win for me, you know, that I got, even though these guys are kind of massive, it was like, no, but I got, because German bass is sound design, man. It's super, especially these days. And and getting these guys to be able to talk at something like that, where they're not, and please, no disrespect to yours, Warren, but they're not that. <laughs> they're not what you would expect. They're not Chucky or they're not whatever, you know. It's really it's something a little bit different. So I think it's, it's about scale somehow. I don't know, I'm still, I'm, I'm still learning.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about drum and bass as well, because I'm someone who's just kind of like popped in and cherry picked the things that I'm interested in when I've been interested in them. But you're somebody who's been kind of more or less connected with it for a couple of decades now. <laughs> And I feel like every time I kind of, like, check in and, like, take the temperature of drum and bass, there's, like, a crisis, like, about the production crisis or it's so aggressively male or that it just seems like there's always some crisis in drum and bass. Like, what, what's your take on that? It's
0: dramatic music.
2: True. I mean, it
0: is. It's, it's very full music. Although I have to say, some of the stuff that I've been liking lately, you know, I kind of, after my drum and bass black hole of getting disappeared into it, or disappearing into it. My English is great now that I live in Berlin. Um, I didn't pay attention to it for a long time and, uh, only recently have kind of come back around with any sort of intense curiosity and the stuff that I really love now that's being made, that's really, really wonderful. It's still incredibly sound designy as an adjective. It's, um, it's, yeah, like like Sam KDC or something like that. That's really it's there's a depth to it, but it is it is dramatic, you know. It is it's it's big, and then it's 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 the intensity in the black and the white, and it is also still intensely male. Yeah, I don't know what to say about that.
2: Um, you played a drum and bass bass set recently, is that right? Or a th- couple actually? Yeah. yeah. What, what was that experience like, especially being in Berlin and playing at drum and bass parties?
0: They were awesome, totally. One was at Outlook Festival. And no, I not, played not in Berlin. Not in Berlin. <laughs> yeah. and, and a really amazing festival. Highly recommended if you are into the bass end of things. And I was really scared because I had been at Dimensions as well. And I thought that the kids, you know, it's like twice as big. And, and all of these young, and I did see people just kind of puking on the, the sidewalk and whatever. And that was gross. But the energy, the vibe was massive. It was really, it was really, really good. But that was amazing because I played um, just a whole bunch of old vinyl and it was, I, I adore that music, and especially these really beautiful old tunes, the sax lick and uh, some old faux tech tunes and stuff like that. And that was really, really fun. But that was the first time I had played drum and bass in a long, long time. And then I got asked super randomly to play a jungle rave here. And it was at a punk club called Beirut. That's kind of out by Griezmüller. And I loved it because this was also, you know, back in the day in San Francisco, we did a lot of parties at punk clubs because that they would have us. (laughs) Uh, Basically. And that was fucking amazing. Like it was so, so, so fun. And we played old hardcore and we played jungle and we played whatever if you want to differentiate between jungle and drum and bass. It was super vibes. It was great. It was super fun. And it's, it's a different way of Djing, you know? like I've gotten into a subtlety. I have to say. this is another thing that just living in Berlin has taught me. I didn't really get techno before I moved here. In San Francisco, you got about an hour to play hour and a half super max two hours. And this is one of the reasons why I left because I loved such an eclectic kind of music. Basically, once I wasn't playing one seventy five BPM, you can play anything. And you can mix it all together. And it's fantastic. But that led me, you know, I had a pirate radio show, so I really could play anything. And I didn't get techno. I didn't grow up in the Midwest, and I just didn't understand. And what Berlin has taught me, actually, is that techno is about subtlety. It's about, you You have to have a four-hour set, or a 20-hour party, or whatever, to really to get into what is going on in there. Whereas drum and bass is like, one bar this. You know what I mean? Rewind. One bar this. Yes. And then, then we're going to rewind it, we're going to listen to it again, and then I'm going to mix something in so it drops at the same time. Oh my god. You know what I mean? And there's so much going on. And so as I developed, I got into this real subtlety. and. What was really fun was going back to drum and bass and just just kicking stuff around, you know, and being kind of mean with the mixes. And and yeah, it's fun.
2: Yeah, I would imagine it must be fun doing these, like, kind of fast changes. Yeah. Not these, like, luxurious three-minute blends yeah. that, that you'll find um, in techno mixes. Just doing these really kind of fast, like, hair-raising mixes that must be really... It must add to the energy. It's super um,
0: fun. What's even more fun is if you're tagging with someone, because you can be looking for the next tune while they're mixing. Yeah. So you can just, like, get all up in each other. It's so fun.
2: <laughs> it's so fun.
0: But it has to be someone that can still work with you to provide the arc of a good DJ set, right?
2: Who, who's your favorite person that you've tag teamed with? Oh my god, in my life? Yeah. This is, oh god. You, you need to give an answer.
0: <laughs> this is super weird and I don't know why his name is coming up, but I respect him a lot as an artist. So uh, Dean Grenier, who back in the day was known as Genome when he was a super gothy kid that used to come to our drum and bass parties, and now goes by Grenier and is a successful artist. He's, he's doing a project called Sister City in Los Angeles right now, and then also professionally works as a creative director for Glitch Mob and makes really amazing music, highly recommended. But I, we used to tag team, and I think that there was a really special quality there. This was a really long time ago, to be honest. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. I, I am probably forgetting someone right now, but that's, that's okay. I've, I've played records with a lot of people.
2: Who's on your wish list,
0: if there is? Ooh, yeah. to play records with. Yeah. Okay, I'm just gonna say it, Paul Wolford.
2: Oh, good choice. Thank you. Good choice. He's a
0: Don. Yeah, he's really, he's really good. And if I really, really wanna go for it, but I kinda don't think I'm good enough, Benny Rodriguez. Oh that man's also a Don.
2: I think that Paul Wolford, he's an interesting choice as well because he's, he's also had many different phases to his career and um, has tackled so many different sounds in what he has done as a producer and a DJ. So this is going to be a really awkward tangent because I I didn't have a follow-up question but (laughs) (laughs) I'm just gonna steamroll forwards where are you heading as a producer as I said before you did this um U2 track which seemed to come out of left field where are you heading as a producer now because it feels like you've got so much to draw on and so much that inspires you what what is kind of inspiring you at the moment
0: Musically, I really don't know. And to be honest, I think I, I I take some sadistic, no, masochistic, masochistic pleasure in not knowing. To me, it's always kind of like, okay, well, where is this gonna come from? What's what's in there right now? But I think I would like to take some of this old music that nobody's heard and bring it to the stage. I think that's a challenge for me. It's to I I don't think it's music that is me and a laptop at all, it needs some sort of presence on stage, whether that means other people or if it means, well, yeah, it means other people. I can say that it means other people actually. And I think that's something I really, I, I loved that experience of playing with the band and I would like to have that again and that kind of collaboration. And I think it's gonna be difficult for me to, to let those songs go into something like that. But I also think that I've gained enough ...distance from them to be able to let that happen now. And I don't think that I'll stop writing music. I just think that I need to keep myself a happy person to do it.
2: (laughs) So everyone be really nice to me. (laughs) I wanted to kind of change tack slightly. I mean, we spoke about this earlier, so I'm not putting you on the spot. But you posted a couple of things this week on your Facebook profile pretty much back to back, and I thought that they were a really interesting duo of topics. The first one was about the DJ Mag Top 100, which I'm assuming was announced recently, I'm not too sure, and it was an article about the, you know, it's the same article that happens pretty much every year, or the same conversation that happens every year about the lack of women represented in this kind of publicly voted, quite high profile um, Top 100 list. And then you posted another article, which was an interview with a lady by the name of Nancy Fraser, who's a professor at the New School, professor of philosophy, about her approach to feminism and how it's not about leaning in and it's not about smashing the glass ceiling. It's about kind of deconstructing really embedded ideas about men being producers and women being carers. In a in a very kind of like I'm I'm really
0: you're abstracting it, but yeah, that's yeah, definitely yeah. something.
2: Um, what was your intention about like posting those two things together? Do they intersect? Like, I, I just want to dive into that a little bit.
0: I think it's awesome that you're asking this question because I didn't see them related at all.
2: <laughs> at all, I, I,
0: my Facebook is like throwing shit into a void. I don't think anybody's reading it, and oh, I obviously am. people yeah. are, which is awesome. But I think I do that with general. I just talk, and if people are listening, great. So to give a little bit more insight, the DJ Mag thing was about the lack of female producers, but it was specifically a journalist asking the male producers who had won slots in that list, or on that list, why that was the case. And the best one, I have to give a shout out to my girl, Jess Jubilee, who uh, is a DJ in New York, because she's the one who brought this to my attention. And the best one, oh god, I don't even remember who it was, and it's fine. It doesn't matter who it was. He was basically like, well, maybe if they spent less time shopping at Sephora and more time behind the computer than they might be better producers. And Jess took her logo, which is a pink flamingo, or a friend of hers, took her logo, which is a pink flamingo, and changed the logo where it says her name to Sephora. (laughs) I love her. I love her so much. And then I think it was not, Oh god I can't remember who it was but there was somebody who actually was very high on the list who basically said look I think there's a lot of them I think they're just not it's not transparent and also anybody that wants help holler <laughs> which I thought was cute <laughs> but yeah it was pretty interesting actually yeah. and it was it was you know they weren't all horrible that was definitely the most horrible But it was pretty interesting to see somebody. I was happy that somebody even asked the question. Yeah, of course. To be honest. You know, and somebody else, and actually maybe it was the same response. He said that this is basically a production. It's lauding people for their production and not for their DJ skills. Even though this is a DJ mag list, this is really not about who's the best DJ. And... (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. There's so much we could get into about women as producers and how and why that is. But to be honest, I really don't believe that it is. I mean, certainly the numbers are not 50-50, but I think there's just a huge amount of women that aren't getting attention in the same way. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the critique of leaning in and that being the best policy. I thought this was really wonderful because basically it's an incredibly articulate article. And she is saying like, yeah, you can get recognized if you play their game, but can't we play a different game? Mm. And actually Natalie sent that to me. She's in our audience (laughs) and saying, she actually sent it to, to me and another close girlfriend saying, what do you guys think about this? And, yeah, I, I think that she's right on with that, you know. It kind of reminded me also, I saw a graphic in my, in my Facebook feed that was a very, you know, that the, the female symbol and then the greater than sign and then the male symbol and it crossed out. And then the two symbols with an equal sign in between saying, you know, that this feminism, feminism is not about us being on top. It's not about us winning. We don't want to play your game. That's your game. We want to do something different, you know, and how we do that, that's still being discovered, isn't it? How do those two things relate?
2: (laughs) Well, it was just just one day after the other, and I, I just thought it was interesting that it was about... Because there are a lot of discussions around how to deal with this issue of women being underrepresented as artists and producers and being booked at festivals, that kind of thing, whereas this other article was saying that it's not about just hoisting one woman up at the detriment of other women, but it's about looking at the structures that create this kind of inequality which I think is a really important discussion which isn't necessarily being had there's a lot of discussions around this is an all my lineup yeah exactly this is an all my lineup or this is one woman who's broken through the glass ceiling and I feel like we need to be having a different conversation yeah you know what I mean
0: I I definitely agree with that and when it comes to festival lineups Jesus can they just diversify (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um, but as somebody who's kind of working at the front line of artist relations and for a music tech company I know we kind of covered this a little bit earlier but what are your strategies in terms of supporting or recognizing or encouraging other female talents who are kind of coming up in various scenes like how do you how do you approach Hmm. that
0: this is a tough one If only because if I'm going to be super brutally honest, I feel a little beat down when it comes to this. I basically make an effort whenever I have an opportunity to make a consideration for if there's a woman that fits. And like I said, it's kind of an affirmative action thing because I just feel that it's needed. And when it comes to encouragement, that's something that I have in abundance. That's something that is very easy for me to give. But I'm afraid I don't have a really articulate plan. You know, I kind of just do what I can when I can. And yeah, maybe I should be thinking bigger, I don't know. (laughs) I can share one other thing that I I thought about sharing tonight, because I think it's kind of related to what I was just saying, which is I was speaking with a very good girlfriend of mine that I used to rave with in San Francisco, who is is basically at a CFO level now in San Francisco, and she's not working technically as a CFO, but she is running people's companies from a financial perspective. And she disclosed to me yesterday, "I, I feel like a fraud. And then she said, but I think a lot of women that are successful feel like that. And this is definitely something that I can relate to. I mean, the fact that I am enough, that was more air quotes, um, to be here talking right now and that this many people in a room care what the fuck I think is crazy to me. Mm. It's crazy to me. You know, and the way that you said it, we've been friends for a really long time and you approached me before the conversation being like, Jesus, you've done so much more than I ever knew that you did. And my response is, have I? Yeah. And that's weird, that's different, yeah. you know? And this goes back to your point of of structure and, you know, it gets down to even how we look at ourselves and approaching that is important, I think.
2: Yeah, I've just remembered a conversation, another conversation that we've had previously about the idea of mentorship. Mm. Um, what role has that played for you and what role do you think, I mean, I, again, I'm going to frame this in the conversation around women in the music business, but how important has that been to you? And is it something that you think you'd be willing to impart to other people, be they female or male kind of going forwards? This has been desperately important to me
0: because I haven't had it. And it's something I long for. I I really, really long for that. And this is a conversation I've had with a lot of women that are especially still 37 and raving and professionals, but in a lot of different ways. This is something that I've sought and not found. So if you know someone awesome that could be a mentor for me, let me know. (laughs) Um, And I was talking about this with a friend of mine, and he said, well, have you ever mentored someone? And that really turned shit for me because... I never thought that I could, but it made me really think about it, and I think I would love to do that. I still have this internal dialogue of, really, do I have something to share? Do I really, am I good enough for that, or am I experienced enough for that, or am I focused enough for that? But it's absolutely something that I would be willing to try because as I said, I'm super curious, (laughs) I'll try it once at least.
2: (laughs) I feel like we've had a really interesting insight into your psyche and into your personality. To what degree do you think that having feelings of self doubt, do you think it's something that fuels you as a creative person, as an artist, as a woman in business? Like how, how do you view that as part of you as a whole?
0: It's been very intrinsic, obviously, and I don't know if it's fuels, it has fueled me as, as much as hindered me, because where somebody might look and see that I'm quite a success, I feel like I have not done what I really want to do yet, and, and the self-doubt has at certain points, kind of pivot points, crumbled me a little bit, and this all feels very vulnerable. And, uh, I'm very real. So fuck it. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Sana Lafleur posted something on her Instagram recently that was like a little meme about being an artist and it was a pie chart and it had something for actually doing the work and something for petting your cat and something for this. But the majority of it was this crushing self-doubt. And my reaction to it was, oh my God, you do. You know, it's like, oh, that's really, that's not just me. Um, but, you know, to be honest, I think that that's what you're getting when you hear that track that I just posted. Mm-hmm. And when you hear the music, if it ever comes out that I have worked on over the last couple of years, is this, this holy fuck, it's this tiptoeing into something.
2: Hypothetically speaking, if somebody was to discover you on SoundCloud or hearing a track out in a club or by other means, what do you hope people will take away from your music when they come into contact with it? Wow.
0: <laughs> Integrity, authenticity, that, it's, that there's some sort of sense of connection and intimacy you know that there's this this because that's what I get off on that's what I really love when I listen to music when I see an artist that I think is really amazing is this oh my god they showed me they show you you showed me you at all costs a counselor therapist whatever that I worked with for a little while was talking about how real strength is not this kind of male ideal of, you know, armor and muscles and, and big and overpowering. But it's this image of, you know, think about like a woman on a mountaintop with exposed, you know, completely exposed and vulnerable, and that's real power. And yeah, that's, I guess, ultimately what I'd like to go for. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And what about your professional life? Where where do you see yourself heading in the near or distant future? What like what's what's on the cards for you? Do you think
0: this is a big question for me right now? Actually, um, this is one of the reasons why I'm taking my, this painting class and this this singing class and all of this because you know I was at iTunes for four and a half years and I, I've been at Native for f- over four years and I feel like I kind of fell into both of these roles and I feel like I'm successful at the male game but is this really the game that I want to be playing so this is a big question for me right now starting to define what I want my work to look like you know I want to work with people that I respect I want to work with people that I have something to learn from and that I have something also to teach I don't really want to be on the computer so much, if I'm to be completely honest with you. And I want to go to sleep aching, (laughs) aching, aching, aching like I've done something that day, you know? And I don't know what this is going to look like. yet it's to be determined.
2: Okay. And I think this will be my last question because I don't have any more. Is there any kind of knowledge or experience or wisdom that you would impart to women who are either in music as creatives or as people in business or people who are thinking of joining this industry, what would you say? Like what, what kind of experience or learning or lesson would you impart, do you think?
0: Deepen your support network. That's what I didn't know. And that's what I would recommend because I think no matter what you're doing, if you're an artist or if you're trying to be a CEO or whatever, that's what's going to help you get there. Because you don't do this. No woman is an island, right?
2: Very true. Very true. (laughs) I think that. Ooh, I think that's it. Thanks.
0: I think it's part of the supine machine,